Thanks, Locke. I hope you've got a Bible open in front of you there as we look at these closing couple of chapters in the book of Acts uh, and see how this story finishes. Let's pray together before we do, though. Father, thank you that your word is given to us clearly, that we are able to understand it, that we can learn from it, that we can be shaped more and more each day by your word so that we become more and more like your son, Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So over the past seven weeks, we've been looking through the story in Acts, the missionary tours that Paul embarked on. We've seen him preach the gospel in dozens of towns. We've seen him meet with a whole range of different responses. Uh, there are people trying to kill him. He's been thrown into jail. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. <clears throat> he's been run out of more than one town. And all of that for the sake of this message about Jesus. But today, uh, the tension in the story kind of reaches its peak. We see him face perhaps his greatest danger. When I lived up on the north coast, there were a bunch of young guys in our church who decided to go out deep sea fishing. Uh, they went out in a boat that looked like this. In fact, it could have even been this boat that they went out in. They asked me if I was interested in going and I chose not to go, partly because of my absolute loathing of fishing, but I wasn't sure whether or not I'd actually be seasick, so I was a bit apprehensive about going. Uh, none of the guys had done it before uh, and it wasn't until they got right out to sea, right out to the deep sea, that they realised that they did suffer from sickness, seasickness. Not the best time to find out that, is it? Because you're there for eight hours. You've paid your money. The boat's not going back until later in the afternoon. Uh, a couple of them were heard to be making noises that were described as noises that humans shouldn't be able to make. Um, anyway, I'm still very glad that I never went out on that boat. But I mention this because part of the account today has got to do with the boat that Paul finds himself on. Sea travel back in those days was a relatively cheap way to get around and incredibly dangerous. I feel a bit queasy just reading through Acts chapter 27, so I pretty think my decision not to go out deep sea fishing was a good one. If you can remember back to last week, we saw Paul uh, three appearances in th uh, b before three different leaders, two of the Roman governors, Felix and Festus, and then before the Jewish king, King Agrippa. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, he could make an appeal directly to Caesar, and that is what he's done. And these final two chapters deal with that uh, imprisonment in Rome, waiting to go before Caesar. They boarded a ship in Caesarea, where Paul was, uh, had been a prisoner, and uh, the ship would have looked probably something like this. We're not exactly sure, but probably... A little closer to this one. Uh, you can see the guy standing on the back of the boat there, so that gives you some idea of the size of this particular ship. The trip that they're about to undertake is about three and a half thousand kilometres, 3,500 kilometres uh, across the Mediterranean Sea. Luke has joined up with them, so he actually gives us a first-hand account of what happens on the boat. It all starts well, but this wasn't the right time of the year to be travelling on the Mediterranean. 
uh, the weather conditions and the winds were not right. They hugged the coast, as you can see in the first part of the trip, stayed within eye shot of where the coast was to try and stay safe. Um, and they made it to the island of Crete where they decided to spend the winter. But before they reached that, that their first safe port, there was a fierce storm. As I said, ships uh, back in those days weren't particularly sophisticated. Uh, there was no navigational gear, no compasses, and if you couldn't see the sun or the stars, well, you were in serious trouble because you had no idea of what direction you're heading. And worst of all, the sailors had very little control over the boat in a big storm. All they could do was drop the sails, drop the anchors and just hope for the best. And just to give you some idea of how dangerous it would have been on these boats, look at what Luke said they had to do when the storm came. If you've got a Bible, chapter 27 and starting at verse 16. As we passed the, uh, on the, to the, sorry, to the lee of the small island called Cowdar, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. They are putting ropes around the bottom of the boat and tying them together to try and hold the boat together. That doesn't fill you with a whole lot of confidence, does it? And then look at what Luke tells us. Verse number 18, we, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. The stuff that you use to actually make the boat move, they're throwing that over the side with their own hands. And then in verse 20 he says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. But we see how little control they had when you look at verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic when about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Drop anchors and pray for daylight. And right there is why I have no interest in going deep sea fishing. The storm lasted for 14 days, 14 days and nights of drifting and they're not even sure which direction they're drifting in. But through it all, Paul tells them that everyone's going to be okay. No lives are going to be lost. God had told Paul and Paul had passed that on to the other people on the boat. It's funny when you read through this account because for me, it springs to mind another story much earlier in the pages of the Old Testament about a guy who gets on a boat and they have a storm. There's some pretty strong parallels between Paul and Jonah. Both men were sent to preach to the Gentiles. Jonah was unwilling to go and tried to escape. A storm came up. They threw the cargo overboard. And at the end of the story, Jonah was disappointed when God heard the, heard the heard the Gentiles, and they were saved. 
Paul's almost the opposite of Jonah in a lot of ways, isn't he? He's the one who wants to go and preach to the Gentiles. He wants to stand before the ruler of the empire. And above all, he wants people to be saved. Well, the boat finally ran aground on the island of Malta, just to the south of Italy. And uh, the ship was lost, as was all of the cargo. But just as Paul said, not a single life was lost. Luke also records for us an incident uh, that happened on the beach with a bonfire and, uh, and a snake coming out from the sticks and biting Paul. And the locals all assumed that this must have been some kind of judgment from the gods on Paul, uh, that because anyone who gets bitten by these snakes will ultimately die. So they're thinking that he must have done something pretty serious, that maybe he was a murderer. As the hours rolled on, nothing happened. Paul's hands didn't swell up, he didn't fall over and die. And the people of the island knew that everyone who gets bitten by these snakes dies, but not Paul. So now, rather than thinking that this is God's judgment on him and that he's some kind of evil person, they start thinking that Paul might in fact be a god because he's now lasted, he's still alive after this snake bite. Just shows you how fickle people can be, doesn't it? I mean, one minute they're thinking he's got to have done something really bad. He must be a terrible person or perhaps he's God. One of those two options is available to them. Well, their speculation was wrong. They spent the next three months on the island of Malta, Luke tells us. And when the seasons changed and when the winds were right, they boarded another ship and got to, the, got to Italy, just a short trip from there on foot to go up to Rome. But people had heard that Paul was on his way to Rome, so they actually went down to greet him. And we're told that they travelled around about 50 kilometres to get down to where Paul was. I'm sure that Paul was excited to be making his way to Rome. Paul's plan was go to Rome, the capital of the empire, and in a sense the capital of the world. When they arrived in Rome, Paul was placed under house arrest. In fact, we're told that he actually rented a house and that he would have had a guard there with him, but he was also able to have guests come over and listen to what he had to say. Paul's usual practice on arriving in a town was to go to a synagogue and preach there about what Jesus had done. Well, that's obviously not going to happen if he's under house arrest. So instead, he invites all of the Jewish leaders to come to him so that he can talk to them about what it is that's happened with the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Turns out they hadn't heard of Paul, hadn't heard about the trouble that he seems to have caused wherever he went, and they listened eagerly to what Paul had to say. And Paul met exactly the same response with these people that he seems to have everywhere. Some people believe, some people want to hear more, some people are not convinced. Luke says that Paul spent two years in Rome preaching the gospel. And then we have this very abrupt end to the book of Acts. If you've got your Bible open there, turn to the very closing verses. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions at this point in the book of Acts. What's going to happen to Paul? Does he get to stand before Caesar? 
What's the result of his trial? Does he die in Rome or does he get released? Does he go and preach the gospel elsewhere? Does he make it to Spain, which was what his hope was? Well, the answer is we don't know. But I think that might actually be intentional. We don't know what happened to Paul because in the end, this is not about Paul. This is about Jesus. And it's about the good news of Jesus spreading throughout the world. And the place that the book closes is actually pretty significant. In the very opening of the book of Acts, Jesus sets the agenda for the disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says that his disciples will have the task of taking the gospel to the entire world. Paul is now preaching the gospel in Rome. And do you see what Luke gives us as the final verse in the book of Acts? Verse 31, chapter 28. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The book opens, the book of Acts opens in that first chapter with a group of men worried about what their future will be now that Jesus has gone. And it closes with Paul in Rome, boldly and without hindrance, proclaiming Jesus and hoping that he'll get the chance to stand before Caesar and tell him about Jesus as well. Now that may be the end of the book of Acts, but it's not the end of the story. And I think Luke is well aware of that. The gospel will continue to go out. Do you know how I know that? Because there's a bunch of people sitting in a building here in Balmain who've come to have their trust in Jesus. 16,000 kilometres away from Rome, we are. And the gospel is continuing to go out to the world. Here's an interesting little graph. It's a little bit dated. Uh, There's two columns. This is where Christianity is growing most rapidly in the world today. Places like Nepal, China, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. That first column shows you how many Christians there were in or how many Christians there were understood to be in those countries in 1970. And the second column shows what it's like in 2016. People are putting their trust in Jesus and in some unlikely places, places that you might not expect to see people responding. And the followers of Jesus, including us, are continuing to do what Jesus called on his disciples to do. To bear witness to Jesus. To continue to make the message about Jesus clear so that people can hear it and understand it. And these are great words to read at the end of the book, aren't they? It's almost as if Luke's wanting to say to the readers, over to you now. This is your responsibility, that you should, with boldness and without hindrance, you should be preaching the good news about the kingdom of God 
and about his son, Jesus. Amen. And Leslie's going to pray for us. In Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, we read what Jesus said to his disciples and indirectly to us. He said, The Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and times of their fulfilment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that he has prepared by his own authority. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power and you will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. We thank you that you are a God of truth, justice, mercy and of great power. May we walk with you, never denying the power of your spirit within us to be your messengers wherever we are. Amen.